Welcome, Dr. Kachko. I'm so excited to finally meet you and speak with you. Andre, it's so great to be here. So we're talking about trauma today, and there's more and more awareness in conscious health and medical circles about the impacts of trauma of all sorts on both the physiological and psychological systems of the body. It's a huge topic with so much to unpack. Can you help us anchor the conversation in what you mean when you use the term trauma in relation to clinical care? Sure. And and I think, you know, we can broaden it to this idea of trauma-informed care. You don't necessarily need to be a psychologist or a psychiatrist or a social worker, someone who specializes in treating mental health to help your patients understand the role of trauma in their bodies and also to help them heal from that trauma because it does take a team to help people heal. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when I think about the role of trauma, I, I like to sort of reframe it for patients. And I consider that the body's primary goal is to keep us safe, right? It, that's really, really what it's trying to do. And trauma can come in many forms. That can be mental, emotional trauma. It can be physical. It can be biochemical. And we should certainly get into all those different concepts. But I think as providers, our job is to, on the one hand, help our patients to feel into their body, to better listen to the messages that it's sending. And then also a concept that I talk about nearly you know every day with my patients is this idea of sending signals of safety um, and i'd love mm -hmm. to get into how we might consider doing so yeah i love that you reframed it as trauma-informed care i actually think with so much of the gaslighting that can happen in our medical system that sometimes just being even being a care provider a healthcare provider can be traumatizing and we have to rebuild trust by hearing and listening and not rushing into what we think is the fix or the solution, which hasn't landed well in the past for the patient. Yeah, absolutely. And I think sometimes when, when patients hear this in the wrong way, they feel um, like they're being judged or they feel like there's no opportunity to heal unless this thing that happened to them at some point in their lives um, is addressed through talk therapy or, or whatever else. And I think my message here is that um, that's, that's wholly insufficient. And trauma can be a thing that happened in our life, in our bodies. It could happen generationally. It can have happened many times in our lives through um, either abuse or the social structs, structures that we have. So when we speak about what is trauma so that we're anchoring that for the coaches and clinicians listening what are all the things that come to mind for you or some of the things? I know we can't list all of them, but what are some of the things that come to mind for you that you've seen in your practice? Sure. Well, so I think one thing that's important first to help patients understand is it need not be, you know, what I describe as trauma with a capital T, right? We think about these, these major events. It could be sort of relational things, or it could be, um, social disengagement, or it could be um, growing up in a family where you didn't get the care and attention that you needed. Um, so all of these aspects of what happened to us in our lives in a sort of a drip format can really add up um, to a body that doesn't feel safe. And I think for me, that's, that's the hallmark is a body that feels like it needs to steal itself against the environment within which it lives and whether past or present, 
um, that environment continues to impact us on a physiologic and biochemical level. And that part is really important because one of the things we've learned about trauma is that um, our bodies quite literally stay in that trauma traumatized state if something had happened in the past. And mm-hmm. as providers, I think one of our goals here is to remove obstacles to cure. And that's a concept in naturopathic medicine that we should talk about. But when we slowly and in a sustainable way help patients to remove obstacles to cure, they heal their own trauma, right? We're not really the healers here. We're just gentle guides along the way. Um, so those are some of the sort of different concepts within which I consider this concept as a naturopathic physician, not as a, um, you know, mental health provider. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so much in there. You've mentioned a couple of things we need to dive more deeply in this concept of safety and how we invite safety in the body. And I assume that's one of the ways that we remove the obstacles to cure, which I want to talk about as well. And as you're talking about this kind of domino effect or this pile up that happens in a patient's timeline, so to speak. It just makes me think of the notion that Malcolm Gladwell popularized with the tipping point, right? Mm -hmm. They come to us in this moment, but it wasn't just one thing that happened that led them there. It's this entire lifetime likely generations of lifetimes that leads them to this very moment where they're seeking our care. And our job is to hold and recognize that. Yeah, absolutely. And and we can consider that, you know, another good example is what happens with neurodegenerative disease, where the the symptoms manifest once 80% of the damage uh, is there, right? And that can happen over two or three decades. So our bodies really um, respond in very uniform ways and are quite resilient but over time, those bodies start to show symptoms. And, and so absolutely, it's, it's once we see it in the clinic, that's a process that's been going on for a very long time. And it's also important to understand that because that process has been going on for a long time, unfortunately, there's no quick fix. And that's why as a healthcare system, you know, this idea of trauma-informed care, we struggle with these things. We're really good at heroic medicine, but we're not really good at the slow and steady healing that needs to happen in a traumatized body. Yeah, so well said. We aren't uh, collectively aware there, and I do think we all fall prey to the quick fix. Patients, clients, providers, we all do. We want that so desperately because we want to swoop in with the answer. And when we're doing trauma-informed care, we're recognizing, I think is what I hear you're saying, that there is a deeper, longer hold of the process to get to real resolution. That's absolutely right. And and I think that, you know, not to say that some of our tools, which can help people feel better quickly, whether they be uh, nutrients or botanicals or pharmaceutical agents used in the right way, um, it's not to say that they don't have an incredibly important role to play. We just have to consider it within the whole context of, of the work that we're trying to do. Um, and I really appreciate your your, your categorization of story, soup, and skill. Um, and that's kind of how I'm, I'm thinking about it during this conversation. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I really appreciate also how you're bringing our attention to this and what it might take while also knowing that our tools and our toolkit are at the ready. We just have to expand our toolkit, essentially. Mm. So before we go into some of the ways to remove those obstacles to care, can we go into the soup, into the physiological symptoms that we might see? I'm assuming it's everything. I know you work a lot with pain can we talk about what you see in relation to the manifestations of trauma in the body? Absolutely. And, and I do, I work a lot with, with pain and um, mental health and the pain that I work with is usually, unfortunately people are coming to me with multi-year chronic pain conditions that um, are at a certain point, the result of the amplification of the central nervous system's response to pain. And so mm -hmm. quite literally, these people's brains are perceiving the structure in very different ways. You know, when it comes to pain, I, I, I talk to my patients about this idea of top down and bottom up. When it comes to bottom up, it's addressing the structure. It's addressing how we move, how inflamed we are, we are, you know, whether we're bone on bone, which can make a difference sometimes. But then we also have to consider the top down. And that's where these concepts that we're talking about here really play in. It's the top down inhibitory pain control. We have signals that come down that tell our body, you know what? Thank you for the message. Thank you for telling me that there's something wrong with my knee or my back. I've got it from here. I understand that I'm safe because that's exactly what a symptom is. It's supposed to be a message that alerts us to action. And if we have not learned how to listen into our bodies and to understand that that's exactly what's happening, we throw a bunch of, of those you know, quick fixes at it without long-term resolution. And at the same time, we have to understand that um, though there is a role to play um, for suppression of that symptom, right? Sometimes if a person's in extreme pain, we need to put them on some sort of analgesic so that they feel better. But just the same, we need to support the physiology and the biochemistry in order to allow healing to happen. So those symptoms are nothing more than manifestations of the body's attempt to heal. And if we consider ourselves um, as sort of guides on that healing journey, we understand that our patients, you know, we can call it lots of things. We can call it, uh, you know, complex adaptive, sim sim uh, complex adaptive systems that are moving in the direction of self-regulation and self-healing and homeostasis. We can call it the vis medicatrix naturae, which is a concept as naturopathic physicians we often use. But what we're recognizing there is that we have an innate tendency and capacity to heal. And if we can listen to those symptoms, that becomes possible. So much that you just said that is so poignant, starting with the fact that we are guides on this healing journey and that we are not there to fix or cure maybe we can help there too, depending on our scope of practice. But that truly, when we are in the guiding role, and we're creating a true therapeutic partnership, there's so much more opportunity for healing. And that piece that you spoke to Dr. Kotko about the listening to the body, I like to think of this as nonviolent communication with self, right? We learn mm. to communicate with others and stop and listen and try to hear what's being said. But we don't give our own bodies that same opportunity to recognize that they're speaking to us. They're telling us something. What are we hearing and what is that telling us? And how do we bring that forward with our guide 
to be able to listen and respond. And so I just really wanted to reflect those two things, kind of pull them out in the discussion. And you talked about pain, which can manifest anywhere in the body. In the GI, you talked about inflammation. We talked about the environment being potentially inflammatory and causing pain. Is there anything else that you see that is a big, uh, a big indicator that something has potentially not been addressed or quote unquote healed from somebody's past? Yeah. Well, I think the, the classic idea that comes to mind is anyone on the, the spectrums of depression and anxiety, mm. right? You know, just as our physical body can scream out in pain, um, anxiety is just the same kind of alarm mechanism that tells us somehow we're not aligned with our body's needs, right? We're either not giving the body what it needs to thrive. Think about nutrient deficiencies. We're um, not living a life full of purpose. We're not feeling connected and integrated within our communities. In some way, our body is screaming out. And so that's really what it is. The, the, the core concept is whether it's anxiety or depression or pain or digestive symptoms, like you yes. mentioned, um, it's that our body is trying to send a message. Mm, yeah. Yeah. So let's get back to these opportunities we have to help remove the obstacles to care. Can you speak into that a little bit more? Yeah. Well, I, you know, I think in order for that to be possible, as, as providers, we have really three core goals. One is just to create the space for healing. You know, it's this idea that we can't heal in the same environment within which we got sick. Um, the second idea that I think about is our, our core need to educate our patients about their bodies, right? The term doctor comes from docere, um, to teach. And so as teachers, we have to help our patients understand how their bodies are functioning so that they can feel empowered um, and that they can understand the, the very singular value of self-management. Um, and then third is guiding the patient to this, what I described earlier, these uh, signals of safety. We have to help them cultivate these signals of safety in their lives. And that's where we get into the how. Um, we get into helping them understand their story and their narrative. That's really important. Um, as you talk about uh, soup, I think about you know all the incredible tools um, that we have, and that's really that that middle, um, as far as I understand it, of, yes. of the functional nutrition matrix. Right? It's uh, healing the gut lining, supporting the microbiome, providing those essential targeted nutrients. And yes, you can do it in targeted ways and support neurotransmitter pathways and methylation and all those sorts of things. Um, balancing hormones, the thyroid, cortisol, all the sex hormones. So it's whatever tools you have as a clinician to send those signals of safety, right? A gut that feels better in a patient who has an irritable bowel syndrome is much more likely to also in parallel support their mental health because that is just one example of a signal of safety. And that's one less thing that this self-regulating system, this the vis medicatrix nature, the healing power of the body, that's one less thing that it has to focus on so that it can free itself and open itself to reintegrate other aspects of uh, sort of the lived experience that it needs to. And so we, we use that, that idea of soup and then teaching people skills, um, yes. you know, the skill of going back out into the world and re-engaging with uh, people we know or people we don't know, this idea that 
um, our relationships really help us heal trauma in a drip format. We don't sort of heal trauma all at once. It needs to be about reintegrating with the world. Um, it's about um, once you're feeling all that being possible, knowing how to add nourishing foods, really we're not talking about taking away food, but adding in food that's nourishing or moving our body in a sustainable way, in a joyous way, in a way that we're going to want to actually do on a regular basis. All of these things in a piecemeal fashion, I guess the ingredients of the, of the soup really support a body feeling safer, which then opens up a whole new world and really clears the case. You know, those really complicated cases that we all see, it really clears the case when we can add a couple of positives into the system. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love how you spoke into that how and I'm going to ask a kind of tough how question when it comes to trauma and trauma informed care. And I say this as a straight cisgender white woman, I want to build bridges where there is trauma that people are experiencing based on so many different factors. And there is not always trust to do so. Our messages aren't necessarily landing in all the places that they can. And I'm wondering if you have any thoughts about how we all can build bridges to bring the messages of trauma-informed care forward to more people who need it. Yeah. It's one of the biggest challenges of this world of integrative, holistic, functional medicine, whatever you want to call it, is that unfortunately, um, we haven't gotten yet to the point, we haven't reached that threshold where um, we have access. And a large reason for that is the broader healthcare system has not figured out how to pay for this kind of mm -hmm. care, mm -hmm. right? And so it becomes the people who need it most um, don't have access. I think as, as healthcare providers who see this need for trauma-informed care, um, and see how central it is, we have a policy level sort of uh, demand here. I, I work in, you know, in, in part as president of the American Association of Naturopathic Physicians. And what we're working towards, and you know, one of the things we're working towards is making sure that people get insurance coverage. We're working to educate Medicare and by that token Medicaid on the importance of these approaches to care where we spend time with people right? Because time is, is healing as well. So um, I don't have a quick answer. And you're right, it is a hard question, because yeah. um, until we can change it on a policy level, um, what we're relying on is, is uh, providers offering care in their local communities, whether it's one on one care or group uh, based visits that can really offer this sort of self management education that's necessary. Um, yeah. And there are so many ways, and I think you're doing a wonderful job of that of reaching a broader audience where whether we do, you know, educational series online or videos or write, um, there's ways to reach people. But yeah, until we get um, access to naturopathic medicine, functional medicine, integrative medicine for every single person, unless they're considering that as their initial point of care to prevent illness, we have a long way to go. And you're right, disenfranchisement is going to be at the root of all that. Mm, thank you for speaking into that. I think the awareness is most important that we realize there's disenfranchisement and also that we fill some of these gaps. And I believe that so many of the coaches and clinicians I teach can fill these gaps. There are so 
many people who don't have access to the kind of care you're talking about, naturopathic medicine, functional medicine, integrative medicine, and we can be that bridge. We can. We can educate. We can help people understand their bodies and their choices and work with their medical team. And uh, what's What's sometimes frustrating for me, if I'm going to be perfectly honest, is how many people prevent themselves from doing the work because they think they are not the medical provider. But Mm. that keeps us trapped in the system that we're already in. And so there's ways we can volunteer. There's ways we can make more access. And education, as you said, one of the primary tenants, uh, creating safe space and education we can do that. And I just feel real, really more inspired to do more of it and find ways to help our students get out there and stop getting in their own way mm. um, because of what they can't do and start thinking about what we can do. I think that's one of the main messages, especially for you know the recent graduates out there who are looking to find their way and, and how to make that unique mark on on the healthcare system Um, there is so much that you can offer today right it it shouldn't stop you from being able to um, to help people it doesn't mean that we shouldn't continue to learn and evolve our knowledge and our practices but there's so much you can offer today because unfortunately these messages are not existent in the vast majority um, of people's minds yeah. Yeah. So before I let you go, is there anything else you wanted to speak into around the realm of safety and helping our clients and patients to understand where safety lives or can live in their own bodies? Sure. Well, I think that, you know, in any person who comes in to see us, if there is significant trauma, you know, large trauma, capital T, or those small micro insults that happen over the course of a life, um, we have to, as providers, understand that there's only a finite amount of that healing energy, that self-regulatory capacity um, that we have as people. And though we are resilient, it is a finite amount. And what we have to do is help them move slowly towards this feeling of safety, like we keep talking about, Um, because if we don't, uh, the best the body can do is keep us where we are, where we can sort of tolerate that awareness of the trauma that happened and sort of keep it in the body. And unless we, um, help people to reintegrate those things very slowly, um, they're going to stay there, right? Mm -hmm. The example, just bring it to bring it biochemically is this idea that if someone has heavy metal burden, we can't just completely flush the system. The body's sequestering those metals for a right. reason, right? And we can't just detox them overnight. They're going to get really sick. And so it's the same thing with trauma and safety. It's it's a slow drip format in a way that's tolerable to them, the minimal acceptable amount that's tolerable for them. And yes. I think that's, that's an important concept because it also gives you some um, feeling of your own safety as a provider to go there with your patients. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliantly said, Dr. Kochko. Thank you so much for joining us and delving into the importance of trauma-centered care. It's been a pleasure to be here. Yay. That's awesome. How was that? Is that kind of what you're looking for? Uh, It was great. Was it what you were hoping to touch on? Yeah, I think so. I think it was, it was free flowing. Yes.
That's the way. Okay, so I'm going to put this uh, in the chat for you. It's your opening. Um, it's the opening words of the podcast. It does say hello. If you want to say hey or hi or some other salutation, you're welcome to. But if you could say the rest as is, as long as that's how you say your name, <laughs> yeah. if you wanted to do Rob or whatever works for you, yeah. that would be great. And I'll just be quiet and you can say it. Hello, this is Dr. Robert Kochko, and today we'll be mapping trauma on the 15-minute matrix. Perfect. Great. Thank you. So great to meet you and speak with you and learn from you, and uh, we'll let you know when it releases so you have all those details if and that, how you want to use it. That's very exciting. I'm realizing Michelle's going to be upset she didn't get a shout-out on the podcast, but I'll tell her we talked about her It's been great uh, to be here with you. Yeah, you too. I look forward to future conversations. Absolutely. You have a good day. You too. Thank you. Bye.